I'm done. I'm tired. I've walked halfway across the globe, and I've just spent four days speaking to and learning from the world's best financial advisors in Nashville. And what I've learned is, if you're not growing, well, you're getting left in the dust. Are you ready? It's the On The Money Podcast with Jerry and Nick Royer. Authors, radio show hosts, TV personalities, retirement wealth coaches. On The Money with Jerry and Nick Royer starts right now. Welcome to the On the Money of Jerry and Nick Royer podcast. This is Nick Royer coming to you live from the Group 10 Financial Studios on top of our Orlando studio. And I'm here with Dad, Jerry Royer. And yes, he was there too. He was side by side the whole time learning and hearing from some top people from across the world. Dad, you know, welcome to the show. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and before we get started, this is a new format for us, right? Because we're, we're losing yeah. our, our third guy here. We're, we're missing uh, Mark Elliott, who typically is on the podcast with us. So he's not here today. But um, seeing that we just kind of got back from Nashville, I figured just the two of us, we could chat this one out. What do you think of Nashville? Hey, 33,000 steps and 10 miles. We're <laughs> out. You know? What were you doing? Mm. Well, well, maybe maybe we should explain why uh, yeah. I wore out a pair of shoes and you walked 33,000 steps. What, 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 where were we at? What, what we were that? at the Gaylord Palms Opryland. Gaylord Opryland, not the Palms. The Palms okay. is here. The Gaylord Opryland. Oh, it was so big, I don't know, but it was big. <laughs> they have 58 acres under glass. 58 acres. Can you just imagine that? And that's all under glass. It's about, what, two, three times bigger than the uh, Gaylord here. Yeah, three times. Yeah. Three times the size. And the one here is massive. Yeah. Right? I mean, the one here is not, uh, we're not talking a chump size hotel uh, here. But that one there, it has, I think, four atriums. They just built a giant water park, kind of like a Typhoon Lagoon. So, I mean, this thing was huge. And obviously, you know, we're talking about this hotel like it was a great vacation, but we were far from vacation. Yeah, you know, as an insurance license uh, person here in Florida, you only need 20 hours of continuing ed a year mm-hmm. or every two years. Yeah. And for as a RFC, they require 40 hours a year. That's 40. That's that's a whole. So week we were out there doing year. work. We were out yeah. there going getting continuing education. And and the group that we were with was the International Association of Registered Financial Consultants, uh, IARFC for short. And what they do is they provide the designation uh, for uh, the like the RFC designation, Registered Financial Consultant, MRFC designation, which stands for Master Registered Financial Consultant, and the RFA designation, which is Registered Financial Associate. So this is the organization. It's an international uh, company that that oversees thousands of financial advisors who carry these designations. And, um, you know, the the thing is, I always say IARFC, because if you say International Association of Registered Financial Consultants, if you can say that 10 (laughs) times fast, man, you're definitely, um, you know, you're definitely doing it good. And I've I've been on the board of directors uh, as vice chairman now for a number of years the youngest vice chairman and i don't uh, think i am anymore though <laughs> i think i was when i first started out yeah you're getting some mm. gray hair yeah but you know the thing i, got I can me, get clear all for yeah, stuff but, like that you know nick the thing is you emceed the entire week and i'm just extremely proud of all you did when there's people when we say international there were 
folks there from Australia, all over the planet. That's a long way to come for a two-day, three-day conference. You bet it And is. so there's financial advisors from all over the place. Um, you know, definitely a great event because you get to learn about how people in other countries are doing financial planning and, and, and how they're structuring things and the challenges that they have. And a lot of ways, we're dealing with the same things. What I found interesting from the guy from... Um, the guy that we talked to from Australia, is they're actually dealing with issues in financial planning uh, now, you know, 10 years ago that we're now dealing with now. They've already been through it. Mm-hmm. So it's cool because we can talk about things that we're dealing as a country now, and he can say, we've already been through that, and here's what happened. Very interesting when you're working with an international group. So what we're, you know, let's talk a little bit um, about what were some of the other takeaways? Because obviously people who are listening to this podcast are going to be people who are either at or near retirement. Usually they're probably 10 years to retirement. Maybe they're already retired. What were some takeaways that uh, that they can glean from what we saw? Because again, we're there for two days, continuing education for us, trying to be better at financial planning. What were some takeaways that you that you saw? The first thing was choices and with plans is not having cumbersome plans. And we'll get into this a little bit in a moment if we have time with the uh, uh, college champ or uh, financial plan competition, which is awesome. Out of 70 colleges across the planet, it gets zeroed down to three. Three that finalists. But, you know, so we'll get into that. But the thing that I walked away with, Nick, is the old KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't go out and, you know, draw up these great big books that nobody ever is going to sit down and read. Make it simple. Make a one-page blueprint that people can look at, understand, and, you know, uh, a plan so simple that you could explain it to an Mm 11-year-old. And what you're saying is the IARFC had a national financial plan competition, and they've done this for now for a number of years. And what it is is there's there's a case study that's provided, and it goes out to major universities and colleges across the country, and students in financial classes can enter into the competition. And there were 70 submissions from colleges and universities from across the country this year. And out of those 70 submissions, 70 teams that submitted their financial plan, three made it to the big show. And they had to present their financial plan in front of all sort in front in this big room on the big stage in front of other financial advisors from around the globe from around the globe and that's got to be scary yeah i think that would have to be pretty scary yeah and so we're we're speaking of this you know because we're learning a lot <clears throat> from how we see them and other financial advisors provide their financial planning and what we learned and what we were trying to teach the the, the kids is you got to keep it simple yeah. If it's so hard to understand, nobody's going to follow through on it. Nobody's going to use it. They'll forget about it. They won't uh, execute on it. And that's not helping to anybody. And thing that I found out is that most of these in this competition, thing that I saw, they gave good plans and ideas, but they didn't ask a lot of questions. I did. I, I noticed that, too. You know? I, I noticed that, too. And it was a hard format for them. I'll give them a pass that it was a hard format. If you, it, you know, These are 21-year-old, 22-year-olds, and they're up on stage, and they're presenting to a fictitious couple. But it, it's supposed to be interactive. We're, 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 we're the third party in the audience watching. And so you're right. Uh, there was a lot of times when they didn't interact. It was very much of a pitch. 
They didn't really uh, ask many questions of, of, and I think that was a missed opportunity to really connect because there's been studies done on what happens when you ask questions. And, and those are really interesting studies. Yeah, let's go into those. Yeah. Uh, the first one was that people that asked two questions. So if you're sitting down with an advisor and they ask you two questions. Just two. Yeah, just two. You have a 23% chance that you're comfortable with that, working with that person. So what you're saying is if I sat down with somebody and they only asked me two questions, like, hi, how are you doing and what's your name? Like, did you have trouble finding the office? You know, or, <laughs> and that's uh, it. You know, yeah. That. And then I go and create a plan and I say, well, you need to buy this. What you're saying is only 23% of the people were confident because they didn't get they weren't the, – the, nobody cared enough to ask them the questions to find out more about them. But if they moved up to asking five questions, along with that, they went from 23% comfort level up to 55% comfort level. So what's that telling us is the more questions you ask, really, people now feel that, hey, they're listening to me. They're mm-hmm. not pushing some idea or some cookie cutter that I need to be in. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one. How about 10? If you ask 10 questions, if, if you, not you asking them 10 questions, if your financial advisor is asking you 10 questions, then they measured this and they said, well, if the advisor is asking 10 questions or more, that person has a not more than a 95% confidence or certainty level where they feel certain about that plan. They feel 95% confident in that plan because more questions were asked. Yeah, 10 when questions. I, when I look at these studies, I always think, you know, I mean, if you ask two questions, five questions or 10 questions if you i wonder if you ask 11 would you get to 100 <laughs> percent? i know we just keep going right, right. but i mean that's the thing is and, and the question is i guess what questions should i be asking or what questions should they be asking of me and the questions they should be asking is what keeps you up at night uh, what are the goals that you want to accomplish? What problems do you feel that you have with the financial plan that you currently have? What happened in 2008 to your, to your money? Have you made changes to your money and how it's invested? Uh, do you have a, a social security plan in place? How does that look? When you get together with your current advisor and you talk to him about taxes and, and lowering your taxes, how does that conversation go? It's those types of questions that you need to ask. There's another question is, how much money uh, are you okay losing if the market takes a nosedive? Not what percentage, how much dollars. Dollars. You know, I got a million bucks here, guys, and, uh, you know, I'm okay losing 30%, you know, or 40%. Ask yourself, get a million bucks, so you're okay now losing $400,000, you got 600 now all of a sudden that percentage become mm, maybe not yeah you know and that's why a lot of times what people will say is i i thought but then i geez when you put it into dollars and cents another way to look at it you just used an example what a million dollars dropping 40 percent so mm-hmm. it's four hundred thousand. Right. i want you to think about that a different way folks think about it this way how long if you lost four hundred thousand dollars in your portfolio how don't think about the percentage don't even think about the dollar amount. How long did it take you to save 400, that $400,000? Very good question. Okay. And, and I had a gentleman say, you know, I am putting in 25% of my income or more every year in investments. I make $100,000, so I'm saving 25000 bucks. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if he lost $400,000, that's like having lost sixteen. dollars Years worth of investments, mm-hmm. twenty five thousand dollars. One failed swoop. 
times 400,000 bucks, that's like losing 16 years worth of investments in a period of time. So think about it in that perspective. Yeah, I go back to my dad that, you know, uh, worked hard uh, back in the early 1900s. He worked very hard over a 12-year period to accumulate wealth so that he could open up his own business. And in one day in October of 1929, the market crashed, and everything he had accumulated in 12 years was gone. Uh, I could hear a pin drop. Yeah. <laughs> All in one failed swoop. So. You know, you know. here's a question on that, because I know we've talked about that story before in, in our live events. Do you, did you ever talk, Now I know Grandpa probably wouldn't have wanted to talk about that, but did you ever hear from a third party how he reacted to that? I mean, I know that he never saved ever again. That, that, that caused such a bad taste in his mouth that he never wanted to do anything again. But did you ever talk to anybody about how internally he handled that when he lost all that he had saved? No, only from hearing my mom talk, because they just got married just like six weeks before he got wiped out. You know, so again, uh, it was a struggle. And uh, going from uh, where they lost all their dollars down in Miami, he went back to a little town in Ohio, and he just never, ever he never recovered. He never talked about it. It was just it 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 just left such a bad taste. My dad made it to ninety, you know, and my parents both you know died living with me in my home, you know, and it's it's just one of those uh, things that I don't want anyone that we talk with to ever experience that type of tragedy. It can be avoided, but you've got to talk about it. You can't just stick your head in the ground. So I'm guessing what happened was he never. Talk, he never taught you about money. No. Do you not teach? At all. Do you teach uh, Uncle Walt or Uncle Don nope. anything about money either? No. Nope. They had to wing it on their own, just like me. You know. So you guys learn it the hard way by. Yeah. Know, when I, you know, uh, I learned it probably caddying on the golf course and listening to other successful doctors and lawyers and, uh, believe it or not, insurance guys that were talking about having multiple streams of income. But if one thing failed, they went on, and that's what we talk to our, you know, our clients and uh, about on a regular basis is being able, if something, if you're dealt a bad hand, and it's going to happen, guys. The market's not going to go up on a steady line like it has for the last 11 years. There's going to be a time when it goes down, and you need to be prepared for it. You know, and that's something you mentioned is how you learn from the people on the on, on the golf course, the mm-hmm. doctors, the attorneys that you were caddying for. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. It almost reminds me of that book from Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. He learned financial success from his, his rich dad failures. not his actual dad his actual dad was his poor dad yeah. so he learned from the other thing and that's a something that's, that's something that if there's probably three things that i took away from this conference is that number one you got to keep it simple stupid don't create this this extremely difficult to understand complicated financial plan especially if you're a husband and wife okay and you're a husband or a wife, it doesn't really matter, and you create such a hard plan to follow that your spouse has no chance in heck of being able to actually follow that plan if something happens. You mm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where that plan is so hard to understand that, that he or she can't even begin to unwind what you created. And you just got to keep it with simple. somebody, you know, like I've been married going on 54 years. And the thing is, if you've lived with someone, you'd think you would have a conversation where you could tell them, gee, I'm not 
doing as well. I don't understand what you're doing. I need to be versed on this. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it's not it's not the sexy thing to talk about, right? Because, I mean, obviously, you're, you bring up a conversation about that type of stuff, and you're talking about somebody's mortality. And so I just think, you know, number one, keep it simple, stupid. Create a simple financial plan. Number two, ask a lot of questions of, of, of your financial plan. What we'll do is write, write this uh, website down, www.onthemoneyshow.com. This is our website, www.onthemoneyshow.com. And what we're going to do is we're going to put the best questions. It's an article that we wrote called The Best Questions Are the Hardest Ones to Ask. And it was published in a magazine. Yeah, And so this article goes into some questions that you really need to be asking yourself. Uh, so if you go to that website, you can download that article for free right now. So just go there right now, www.onthemoneyshow.com. But again, those were two questions. Keep it simple, stupid, you know, on your financial plan. Ask lots of questions and increase. This is the third thing. Increase your financial intelligence, right? Take the time and get educated. If you're working with a financial advisor... Make sure they have the heart of an educator, not the heart of a salesman. There is a difference. And for most people, when they come and visit with us, they know the difference. They'll tell us, wow, uh, this is not what I had gone through with where I was uh, at before. And so, again, I, I think the takeaway, create a plan that's simple, not complicated. Ask those questions. The more questions you ask, the more certain you'll be. Um, you know, and, and go to that website. To get that article, the best questions are hardest ones to ask, and that's at www.onthemoneyshow.com, www.onthemoneyshow.com, and we challenge you to ask questions. Learn about yourself. Learn about your finances. Then create a plan that takes into account the lessons that you learn from the way you answered those questions. That's why answering those questions, don't just cast it aside and say, oh, you know, I'll read the questions and I'm not going to ask them of myself. Take your time and ask yourself those questions. So, again, uh, we'll be here again next week. You know, thank you for uh, tuning in to the On the Money with Jerry and Nick Royer podcast. And, again, we'll be posting a lot of great resources on the podcast page, uh, free downloads. You'll also want to share these podcasts with your friends and family, so don't just keep this information to yourself. And one other thing, too, you can also get your own free copy of our On the Money Retirement Toolkit shipped to your door. It's a big box of retirement tools, and you can get that shipped to your door absolutely free. We'll even throw in a copy of our new book called Diffuse, The Seven Steps to Saving Your 401k from the IRS, all shipped to your door at no cost. Just text the word retire to 31996. Again, that word is retire, R-E-T-I-R-E. Just text the word retire to 31996. And again, we'll be here uh, next week, and you can tune in uh, right here on whether you're using iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Buzzsprout, doesn't really matter. Uh, Just go ahead and tune into that, and you can listen to us 24-7. And until then, I want to thank you for your time this time. Until next time, so long, everyone. You've been listening to the On The Money with Jerry and Nick Royer podcast. Catch new episodes every week to discover the latest retirement strategies and tips for retiring well from Jerry and Nick. To subscribe to the podcast, head to onthemoneyshow.com. That's onthemoneyshow.com. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Group 10 Financial and Brookstone Capital Management are independent of each other.